I tell my clients, patients, there's 42, about 42 different things that impact your blood sugar. It's not just the banana. Hello, welcome to The Seasoned RD, a podcast connecting newer professionals in the field of eating disorders to those of us who have been around for a while. I'm your host, Beth Harrell, a certified eating disorders registered dietitian and supervisor. And I'm Abby Brown, a registered dietitian who is newer to the field. I think of myself as a well-seasoned cast iron skillet with wisdom and experience, yet always ready for something new. And I think of myself as an Instapot with innovation and a fresh perspective. This podcast brings both to the table to share ingredients, recipes, and techniques of past and present so we can all be our best for the future. The kettle is heating up. The skillet is on simmer. So join us around the table for true professional nourishment. Abby, ready to stir the pot? Let's do it. You know, you never know where conversations are going to go on these podcasts. And when we invited Janice Baker in to just have a conversation with her, and she has so many credentials, you can check it out in the show notes. But we talked about so many things, blood glucose monitoring and weight loss shots that were originally intended for diabetes, which are really great, and now how they are in the pop culture, which affects those with eating disorders. So I'm well aware of the bias I hold that with all those letters after her name, one might think that she's kind of a bookworm and that she would be like maybe shy and hard to talk to, but that is not the case, and I fully recognize that that's a judgment. Her bookshelves are overflowing, so it was fun to be a student in her class as we were having this conversation. Abby asked some great questions, too, and I had to laugh out loud when we went back in time to the fat-free era and what Janice Baker had said, foods that tasted like a pencil eraser. Yeah, we did not have a lot of time to devote to some of the newest medical resources available. So sign up for my supervision freebies if you want to be a student in Janice's class like I do. In my internship, she says there was maybe a 10-minute video on eating disorders and saying that it was the symptom of a family problem. We have come such a huge long way, and and I really enjoyed this conversation with Janice. A listener comment from Dawn. Beth, I thought Margot's appearance on your podcast was extraordinary, pure gold. The entire conversation was engaging, substantive where it needed to be, and lighthearted in all the right places. Just wanted to affirm and encourage you. You're doing great work and providing a valuable forum for important dialogue. Well, thank you, Dawn. This makes right there makes this podcast all worthwhile. So a quick note from me, please do rate, review and share the podcast or send me a message LinkedIn or on my Instagram, which all of that is in the show notes. And last night I opened up my January through June supervision groups with the Supervision Freebies group. And it looks like we have a couple of spots available here and there. So if you're still interested, do let me know. In this podcast, we bring medical, nutrition, and therapy professionals who share their passions to pique your interest in available modalities for the field of eating disorders. This show is intended to inform and educate, and it's not a substitute for training and supervision required to specialize in the treatment, nor is it a substitute for medical, nutritional, or psychological advice from a professional or specialist. I hope you enjoy this podcast episode with Janice Baker as much as we did. Welcome to you, Janice Baker, to the Seasoned RD Podcast. Thank you so much, Beth. This is such an honor. I'm so excited to be here today. 
Well, we can't wait to chat with you. I'm already like having so much fun. Your presence is just a ray of sunshine. You're so bubbly. This is going to be great. Thank you. Okay. So a couple of just icebreakers for you. Mountains or beach? Well, beach, I have to say. Growing up in Southern California, the LA area, spent a lot of great summers on the beach with friends. But the past uh, few years, my daughter, my daughter who's my youngest, she spent three years working in Maui. And being in California, it's, it's not such a long trip to get over to Maui. So we were there several times visiting her over the past three years. Spent a lot of time, of course, on the beaches there. Found some of our favorite, favorite coves where there's lots of sea turtles uh, basking in the sun, resting, sleeping, going in and out of the water. So I'm not a swimmer. I'm not, I'm a land animal. I'm a land person. But being in Maui on the beach, sitting at a distance, respectful distance from the beautiful, massive sea turtles, you're in a whole different world. There's, there's nothing that I could think of that's more peaceful than watching, watching them. It's just, it's uh, surreal and beautiful. Yeah, that sounds incredible. Does your daughter like that movie, Moana? Yes, she does. Uh, she was actually there her first year working on a very big goat dairy farm up in Kula, which is upcountry. And then the next couple of years, she was working as a vet technician at a veterinary clinic in Lahaina. She's back here now, but great, amazing time. Very cool. Whenever you said Maui, that it always makes me think of Moana for some reason. Yeah. Okay. So my next question, breakfast or dinner? Well, I love both. I have to have breakfast because I need my fuel in the morning just to get me through my day. I cannot not eat. I'm a big dairy person. And so I love everything dairy. So it's going to be yogurt, cottage cheese, all kinds of things like that. Because cheese it's just what I love for so many reasons, but you know, dinner's so great. Cause then it's a little more relaxed. And then I know I'm going to, my husband and I, we're going to watch our Netflix after. <laughs> so there's, there's a special time for that too, but I need my breakfast. So I'm going to always say that. I'm really glad you mentioned dairy. I'm going to ask you a question about that later mm. because for a variety of reasons, yeah. um, so many people are afraid of, of that right That's now. That's so sad to me. I know. Me too. <laughs> and the beautiful massive sea turtles. I can just picture you. Well, actually you've shared pictures with us. I sent of, you a picture. I remember. Oh, yeah. And it was like, I mean, I could feel the peace in that, in that picture. If you ever go, we have scouted out so many coves in Maui that I know some really special ones that don't, that aren't overrun with tourists. Mm. And I will tell you exactly where to go. Okay. To see incredible amounts of sea turtles. Okay. And like you said about California and Maui, it's not that far of a trip no, no. from Missouri. It's, oh, it's big. It, you feel like you're in another time. Well, you are in several you different are. time it's, zones. It's My yeah. nephew lives in Maui. So oh. I, we have been there to visit him. And, but uh, you know what, if we go back, I'm going to ask you. You let me know. Go? Okay. Yeah, I will. And so audiobook or paper book, Janice? Well, paper. I'm going to say paper right off the bat. This is reflection of my age, but you may remember growing up with LPs, you know, records, vinyl, and I love the covers and I had tons of vinyl LPs and, you know, their covers were works of art. So 
I I have lots of books. I love the book covers. I just respect the artwork that goes into it. I love, you know, I love sticky notes <laughs> and writing in the side. And, and also after I finish books, I pass them on to my kids who are big readers. So I'm just a paper book type of person. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, you are a registered dietitian with lots of letters after your name, and we're not going to go into all of them today, but one of them is Certified Diabetes Care and Education Specialist. But how, I want to take you back to your RD exam. Okay. So back to the day, what do you remember about that day? Was it computer or number two pencil? Oh, there were no computers. (laughs) I knew that, and I couldn't wait to ask you. I, I think we had... Probably they gave us three or four number two pencils that were sharpened just in case the tip broke off. Yep. Definitely paper. I don't even think, because I remember studying for it. It was when I first got my first job out of my internship and I was renting a room at a friend's house. And I don't think there were even study guides like they have now. So I had all my textbooks from college, from school, using it to remember all the number two what or not number two, number 10 cans or scoop sizes and all that. So I studied with all my college textbooks. And then I was in San Diego at the time, uh, but we had to drive up to Los Angeles and hang out there at a coffee shop before and after at a test site by a test site, just kind of waiting. And yeah, it took weeks to get the results back. It was one snail mail, totally. Yeah. Totally. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And they, that was even before mechanical pencils when you said oh, they, yeah. you know, the sharpened These ones in the case the tip broke. The erasers on the end. Yes, <laughs> exactly. The wooden ones. Yeah. All right. Well, how did you get into eating disorders? How did you get into diabetes care? Well, both of those, you know, come from different places, but they intermingled so beautifully as time went on. So diabetes care came from just my family history of diabetes. I just remember when I was a tiny little kid offering my grandpa some Oreos because Oreos were always in our house. <laughs> and it's like, no, I can't have these. I have diabetes. And I was seven or so. I'm like, what? What is that? And uh, then my father, when I was about 14, 15, 16, it's so hard to say because the way things were then, I just said, I have diabetes. And I didn't know what, had no idea what was that. But then when I saw how this progressed with him, his body changed so quickly with muscle wasting, with weight loss, with eyesight problems, with all these complications that happened. Again, this was the 70s no meters, no pumps, no insulin pens, no medical follow-up, no education, no A1C tests, just didn't have any of that. So I'm pretty confident, knowing what I know now, he had uh, diabetes that was just not well managed for a very long part of his life, which really took a lot of years off his life. I mean, I'm at the age now where just a few months later, he passed away because of diabetes complications. So this hits me really hard being at the age I'm at now. So I learned from that. And then in my internship, I had the opportunity to work for two weeks at a camp for children with diabetes in Ohio. This was 1982. So again, no meters, no pumps, 
just syringes, only urine testing. And these kids were adorable and we had so much fun, but you just never knew what was going to happen. And we had to check them in their cabins. It was a residential camp twice a night. We had to wake them up at midnight and 3 a.m. So it was exhausting because we had to be up at night. And then we had to be with these little kids ages, say, 8 to 16 for two weeks. It was exhausting. And I was 23. And I was like, that stuck with me. But I, part of my dietetic internship project was writing a paper on the pathogenesis and the etiology and the physiology and the treatment of type 1 diabetes. So I lived in the medical library researching this. Again, no computers, just all journals and papers and all, you know. Dewey Decimal System. (laughs) Index cards, a lot of index cards to put my paper together, type it out. So that huge research project on type 1 diabetes in 1982 just gave me a great foundation to understand it. But then as I started working in the hospital setting for 14 years and then outpatient, of course, you know, then one of my nursing colleagues says, you know, there's this credential, certified diabetes care and education specialist, certified diabetes educator. So as of this uh, year, I'm 30 years as a CDCES. I just renewed. I'm good for another five years. I'm about 12 years as a board certified advanced diabetes management. So that was a big exam, heavy duty on pharmaceutical, very intense exam. So I renewed that. But yeah, having the credentials for 30 years, being around diabetes for most of my life in one way or another, you know, it's a gift that I have had those experiences, but the pain and suffering I've seen, you know, in my own family dealing with the complications is what drives me to just keep going, Mm. you know, very personal thing. Very personal. And you have lots and lots and lots of experience. Mm. Um, And that's one thing that I think we kind of, we met a little bit through some certification questions and then we've just stayed in touch. So one of the things I love to do with you, Janice, is kind of nerd out on the nutrition stuff Mm. because you read so much and you highlight so much and you are so well studied on everything. So what do you want to talk about today? What, what do you, you know, you know, this podcast too, Mm -hmm. you -hmm. know, that we bring in people with different seasonings and it's all medical therapy and nutrition professionals. Yeah. Well, you mentioned eating disorders. So going along with that, I was exposed to that early in my career. My, and I have was thinking, I have to say this in my internship, the only training we got on eating disorders, none during undergrad. And I had a great undergrad program at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo it was fabulous, but no eating disorders there. In my internship, there was basically a, maybe a 10 minute video saying an eating disorder is the symptom of a family problem. Yes. That was it. It was this old white man saying this. And we were all interns around this, you know, the video, the TV with the video cassette player, big VHS, of course. Mm. And an eating disorder is a symptom of a family problem. That is all we got. Mm. Boom. So yeah. then in my my first job was acute care in a hospital with med surge, ICU, 
cardiac rehab. I worked in all those spaces because it was a smallish hospital. And we had a young woman admitted once a month for electrolyte imbalances. And she was very, very low weight. And the internists, the doctors I work with, they had no idea what to do. They just kept, you know, correcting her electrolytes. She'd come in through the ER over and over and over. And he decided one day, I'm just going to start her on TPN, total parenteral nutrition. Well, I'm pretty sure that caused her death because that was, again, this is the eighties. This right. is when we had right. really no knowledge of even which is published in as a CNSC a nutrition support clinician. I'm familiar with Aspen and all that end of things. And it's also addressed in eating disorders, refeeding syndrome, the shift of electrolytes and all that. It was too much for her heart. Mm-hmm. She ended up in cardiac arrest in the ICU. I'll never forget that. That was mm-hmm. around the same time Karen Carpenter. Which, oh, wow. You know, that was my era. What happened with her? There was just lack of knowledge. At the same time, a local therapist called me up and said, Janice, I need your help. I have eating disorder patients. And here I am, no training in this. So I showed up to her office. I didn't know what, what could I say? You know, mm-hmm. she had some significantly ill clients. But there were no treatment centers, no training, nothing like this. This is in the 80s again. So I was just sort of pulled into it. And then coincidentally, a few years later, well, this was in the 90s, I was invited by a fascinating program. Or And the founders are from Sweden. It's called the Mandometer Clinic. They came over and visited because one of our family practice doctors visited there, wanted to know more about eating disorders. It's in Stockholm, Sweden, very large Swedish clinic, came over and gave a talk on their approach to treating eating disorders, a lot based on the Minnesota starvation studies, you know, the starvation impact on the brain and the psychological impact. So they came over and I, they gave a talk and I was just so fascinated. And then they came up to me and said, you know, we want to open a clinic in San Diego. They said, do you want to do this with us? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I didn't even think twice. I'm like, yeah, I just say yes, just do it. So I got to go to Sweden for three weeks and work at their clinic, train and work at their clinic in Stockholm part of the Karolinski Institute, uh, just an amazing opportunity. It was so fascinating. And we opened up a clinic here in San Diego. It was in place for about five years, but just because insurance, you know, issues and other things, it didn't last. They had a place in Manhattan as well. But that really was fascinating too. Again, I didn't have a lot of training, but I learned a lot from their approach, which is based on sort of a biofeedback mechanism, a weighted scale that monitors how quickly you eat and has a feedback visual to correct the pace of eating. It's really fascinating to learn about. It is fascinating. It is. And so I could send you some more information on that. And they're still in Sweden. I follow them on social media and correspond with them every so often. But after that, you know, it's just in in diabetes, we're finding out that 
our approaches to nutrition care and diabetes resemble a lot of what you know would be considered dysfunctional eating, disordered eating, because of the tight obsession about numbers and carbs and calories and you know some of that yeah you have to really pay attention to of course especially depending on the type of therapies you're using and it's so many impacts on blood sugar numbers but what we were teaching in diabetes again very weight centric Well, that's all you had. That's what I'm sitting here thinking. You didn't have the A1C. You didn't have glucose monitors. You didn't have that. So I guess with some forgiveness of that weight centricity, that that's all you had. But it was it was the wrong way to go. Yeah, and we weren't taking into account all the other what we call glycemic impact factors, you know, mm-hmm. there's food, but there's also stress, there's sleep, there's mm-hmm. hydration, there's yeah. movement, there's genetics, there's the medications, there's, you know, of course, the social determinants of health. We weren't even talking about those things at the time. Like I tell my clients, patients, there's 42, about 42 different things that impact your blood sugar. It's not just the banana. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then they, when they hear that, they breathe out a sigh of relief. Mm. So, and the black and white ideology, the good and bad foods, right? What can I eat? What I can't eat? What should I stay away from? What did you say? 42? 42 different. And I have that list I can send to you. 42 different impact factors, you know, and they are different in everyone, right? And as we age, like our kidneys change and how our kidneys have an impact on our blood sugars because there's something called renal gluconeogenesis. And then that's why there's some medications that target the kidneys, target the gut, target the pancreas, target the muscles, target the liver, right? There's all these different organ systems in place. So Sifting this out, breaking this down to my clients, my patients, is a very big ask, but it's what I love to do, right? So with all of this knowledge that we now have and all of the numbers, the A1C, everything, why are are we still so focused on weight? I don't think I have ever received Mm. a patient who hasn't been told you need to lose X amount of weight to control your diabetes. That's so baked into the system. Like everything I read, because I do a lot of trainings through and continuing education. And it's, I think it's getting a little better, but it's still very baked into things. Definitely. You know, as I explained to my patients and clients, weight is just a pull of gravity. It, it doesn't measure lean body mass. It doesn't ma- measure water retention. It doesn't measure muscle tissue, all these different things. And as I kind of explained with my dad, my dad, when he developed significant signs of diabetes, he probably already had it, but he lost a crazy amount of weight in a short amount of time. But it was because his diabetes was so out of control. He lost so much muscle tissue. He was so dehydrated. He was so ill. He lost a lot of weight, but he was much more sick than when he was younger. When I remember him as a 
little girl. He was this bigger guy, but he was strong, healthy. His personality was vibrant. He had a huge sense of humor. When he lost all this weight, it was opposite, right? So weight is a circle of gravity. It doesn't reflect health in Mm -mm. the ways that we think about it or taught to think about it. So it's baked in, but it's getting better. And this is what I circled. I I always write, take notes. And and that kind of even goes back to the eating disorder as a sign of family problems. Mm. It was baked in, Mm -hmm. but it's getting better. The more we understand it and the more we can help describe to medical providers, to therapists, to dietitians in their schooling, the better it's going to be. Yeah. You know, you had mentioned wanting to be in my class. I want to be in your class. So I'm in your class right this minute. And I want, I love everything that you're teaching. I want you to do a freebie too, if you would. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Cause I feel like I owe it to you. If you know, I I have bookshelves, I'm going to save this comment for later, but I bookshelves that are so overflowing because every time I hear a recommendation about a book, like Mm -hmm. from the other day, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like I'm getting that book. There's so many ways I'm learning still 40 years out. Oh my gosh. I'll do okay. whatever you want. Beth. <laughs> You're I'm yours. <laughs> <laughs> She's okay. I lost my train of thought. My there's so my head is going in so many different directions oh, right now. Okay. Yeah, it is. And because I wanted to come back also to that dairy question. Like, oh, why yeah. are people so freaked out about mm. milk, about cottage cheese, about you know, that's so sad. So to me, because like going back to my college days, I was going to bring up, you know, a lot of dietitians mention that there's a lot of uh, weight centric teaching in undergrad. Right. But I feel like when I went to school, my college was days were like uh, 70, 78 to 81 or so 77 to 81 or so. And that was like a really nice so-called sweet spot. Because even though I was in, you know, a nutrition dietetics program, we weren't focused on weight and obesity, quote unquote. It was not that. I had this beautiful cultural foods class and we had everything. And our teacher just kept saying, don't ever throw out the chicken fat. It's good for all this other stuff. And we celebrated foods and we ate at all the great pizza places around. And there was just even... My friends, we weren't obsessed about this at all. It was such a nice time. And in the dining hall where I spent a lot of time, we had these unlimited milk machines that were so popular. These big metal refrigerated milk machines where you could drink as much milk as you wanted. And nobody was afraid. There was no soy milk or oat milk in those. It was just, it was whole 2% and nonfat. And everyone was happy. And I grew up with lots of milk and I still love, I'd love dairy. I prefer yogurt and cottage cheese and all those things. And I use lactose reduced milk now because of my genetics, but I still use regular milk. It's hard to say, but you know, I think it's very, very consistent with all the food fear mongering, the gluten, the dairy, the grains, but 
as I mentioned the other day, you know, we were dietitians during the fat phobia decade where everything was fat free and there was fat free, everything pastries and, and that was evil and avocados were called green fat bombs. <laughs> and, and now they're fame to yeah. be in the same room as nuts, you know, and I had a lady the other day come and say that I hadn't seen for a long time. I'm still using that spray butter that you told me to use. I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh, that's so funny. I and with dairy, <laughs> with dairy too. Like I remember growing up and the got milk commercials are everywhere. Yes. And you want to be this top athlete, you're drinking dairy. And, and then it was like, well, if you're going to do it, it, it has to be non-fat. And then oh, now it's like, totally. well, don't do it at all. And you're drinking a glass of milk. That's weird. You know, why aren't you doing oat milk? It's so polarizing. And this was one of, this is like something I feel passionate about because my mom works in dairy. She, or when we have this concept of superfoods, like this little mm. made up term, what is more of a superfood than dairy? Like if some famous beautiful person were to just say that dairy is the best. It's the best superfood. Yep. Everybody would love it. Yeah. And this is funny because when, if some, some people in America are obsessed with people in Europe and they are obsessed with their lifestyle and their eating style and their patterns and their body sizes and shapes. And I remember it was about eight, 10 years ago when I was working at the children's hospital, there was this family that had been over in Europe and they came back and they told us that they would go down to, it's almost like a vending machine at the end of their street and it's full fat milk. And that's exactly what they were embracing. And this was a a family, a mother who was very, very, very concerned about good nutrition and Mm -hmm. that it was so refreshing to see the Mm -hmm. full fat milk. Yeah. I grew up in full fat milk. I mean, there was no, no choice, right? That's all I ever had. And you mentioned cheese. So I think cheese took a hit during the fat phobia decade. You know, we had all these low fat, no fat cheeses, like that basically tasted like a pencil eraser and uh, they had no flavor. They didn't melt. It was so awful. It's awful. So cheese is a lovely part of life, but yes, we were teaching them that eating cheese is like eating butter. And we were fear mongering cheese at that time. Just, just yeah. sadly, you know, so that took a hit. I think Maybe that's getting better now because people are starting to unravel from the fat phobia, but now it's the carb phobia because we have to be afraid of something. Mm -hmm. And when we talked earlier today about the continuous glucose monitoring and how Mm -hmm. available that is, now Mm -hmm. it's pop culture. Oh, yeah. I have my example right here. So I have samples. I've worn these, the Libre, the Dexcom. They're, They're great. They're great devices. Definitely because my patients, my clients with diabetes, you know, poking your finger four so times a day is exhausting. It's distressing. It's tiring. It's hard to do. It's very hard to do. So these devices are so wonderful. I love them. But now, you know, people without diabetes are thinking, well, maybe I should use that. And why? Why do we have to take it that far? I don't see a good reason for that, honestly. 
Yeah. Unless there's a really good medical reason, which there could be, but on a temporary basis, there could be. That's what but I'm wondering. Temporary. I really see think- some good mm-hmm. reasons for that, really depending on someone's being treated for an illness on steroids, for example, for something where it does make your blood sugar sort of go up. There could be, there could be reasons, but if you're just, you know, this healthism, which I think that's a term I like to talk about, it's gotten a little too far. It's very monetized, right? It's very profitable. And so of course they're going to push it beyond the boundaries that it's really intended for. And very privileged as well to get this little glucose monitor, (laughs) but insulin is the hottest thing in the diet world right now. If your insulin is too high, you're not losing any weight and shame on you. And I have never heard the word insulin so much in my life, not even when I was in school, than I do on social media right now. How do they even measure that, right? I mean, measuring your serum insulin levels that's done with a test called the C-peptide, right? Who has the ability to measure that? How do you know, right? So I don't know how that's been approached and who's what knowledge base is behind talking about that. But again, I think that's really diverting our attention from more important things. Yeah. And I like how you said it's monetized. These are Mm. things that Mm. if we can look back to who's going to profit from it, that can help us understand. And I think... Janice, you under, you stuck around long enough on our freebie to see what one of my assignments is in my graduate elective yeah. course, and it was social media influencer. Oh, yeah. And so from week two to week 10, they're going to follow someone who claims that they're an expert in eating disorders mm. or food and eating, and then they have to give a report about what makes them an expert? Is it the number mm-hmm. of followers that they have, which we're mm-hmm. seeing what's happening in Twitter right now? You can pay to have a check mark, not anymore because that mm-hmm. was quick, but what makes someone an expert? So it causes that critical thinking right. that, I mean, just because you have a gazillion followers doesn't mean that you are an expert. And then there was an article that came out through IADEP, and I really appreciated both both of them, but it was about the Kardashians and the promoting the waistband, the waist trimmers. And Mm -hmm. then there was an article for medical doctors on medical ethics about how that can cause broken ribs and death. (laughs) Didn't we already have a version of that in Gone with the Wind? Yeah, it was the corset. (laughs) Corsets with the ties, the mammy, you know, she wanted to get her waist to 17 or with that, the really the ideal was 16 inch and, you know, you just had those laces and you held onto a pole while they pulled the the corset to as tight as they could get it. Isn't this just a recycled version of that? It all feels about this. Yeah. (laughs) Janice, I'm so curious of Beth, when you just brought up Kardashians, it reminded me of this. I'm so curious of your opinion now, Janice. Have you seen all the promotion of this shot, this weight loss shot oh. that it was first made for diabetes. Oh, yes. Okay. I'm familiar Ta- with this. Tell yes. me your opinions. Okay. So this is a, oh, this is a great topic. So this is a class of a very good medication 
good therapy for diabetes. It's called the GLP-1 receptor agonist. Excellent medication for those with diabetes. Came out, oh gosh, several years ago with the first product called Bidurion. I was trained to train people how to mix it, how to use it. GLP-1 agonist, really great, great therapy for diabetes for many people with type 2 diabetes specifically. And since then, it's been refined. We have several brand names of it, Victoza, Trulicity, Ozempic, Ribelsis is an oral form, really good medication for diabetes for sure. But now, of course, because we can, they have developed, you know, different versions of it. Saxenda is one, Wegovy is another. And these are marketed for weight loss because, again, there's tons of money to be made in this. So there's those versions that are intended for weight loss. GLP-1 receptor agonists, they do decrease your appetite. They help your body make insulin when it's needed. So it works on the central nervous system. It also slows down gastric motility. So your blood sugar stabilizes. You feel full longer. However... Again, do you, if you're old enough, you remember also the craze about fen-fen. Do you remember that, Beth? Fen-fen people going everywhere to get fen-fen. And, you know, that was pulled. Stop their heart. Yeah. Heart defects, heart Mm. problems. So again, these things, there's going to be these things coming up again. Pharmaceutical industries are there to please their stockholders. They're not without side effects. And These are popular and used because they're now being marketed as even an alternative to bariatric surgery because of the studies on the short-term studies, I I guess two years or so, what that looks like. And these are meant to be used long-term because when Mm -hmm. they're discontinued, you know what happens. Yeah. So you know, this is a very good therapy for people with type 2 diabetes in many cases, along with other things that are necessary. But yeah, if it's anything to do with weight loss, it's going to be, you know, used by all kinds of other people. Mm-hmm. That reason, of course I, it is. Yeah, it was just a few years ago that I had my first client who did not have diabetes or pre-diabetes mm-hmm. and was on the Ozempic yep. for weight loss. And mm-hmm. and the side effects that they had described for me were awful. They can um, be awful, for sure, for sure. And, and so that actually, from my lens, is helping that person make the decision. I don't ever want to do that again. First mm-hmm. of all, it's recognizing that this is a something that someone's making a lot of money on. A lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're not feeling well. You know, with my intuitive eating background, mm-hmm. that's an important piece of it. Yeah. It, you know, it can cause GI side effects. That's why most people drop out of the studies. I've had mm-hmm. to review some of the studies for different reasons. Uh, so GI side effects are a big one. Gall, gallstones, you know, can be part of this To So we need to be careful about, you know, who selecting medications, like with anything, who, what's right for that person, you know? So yeah, we'll see how this plays out. And again, you know, there's one called Manjaro, which is uh, Lily's version of a, what we call a twin cretin, a dual GIP, GLP, it's a terzeptide is this, which again, 
it can do some nice improvements to blood sugar. Weight loss is also how it's marketed as well. So we'll see how this goes. And the cost is a huge issue. Right. Yeah. Like Abby said, it's privileged. Yeah. No spoiler alert, but anyways, I'm going to make an announcement next month. And so I think this will be our last, last ability to have you on the podcast. However, really want to learn a lot more from you because we didn't even dip our toes into, because we talked a little bit about pop culture, Mm -hmm. but we did not dip our toes into some of the, the textbooks that we have now that we have lots of research. For example, Mm -hmm. Dr. Mailer's fourth edition of Eating Disorders, A Mm -hmm. Comprehensive Guide to Medical Care and Complications has come out. Mm -hmm. These books take forever to, and it's, they're never done even when they go into print. So I, you're one of the only people I know who has probably read it from cover to cover and has Mm -hmm. made some, some marks on there. And, and in a nutshell, what do you hope people get from, if they, if they get this resource, Eating Disorders, Comprehensive Guide, Mm -hmm. the pros and cons. Yeah. So first of all, definitely read it with an open mind. (laughs) Know that, you know, no resource is perfect, right? There's going to be different opinions in there, along with some really great information and insights. I've seen both but there's parts of it I'm questioning, right? I want to question more about where some of the ideas came from just because of cultural influences and what all of our, the authors have been taught. And, you know, maybe by this time they've changed their minds a little bit too, based upon new information, because again, I've changed my mind on a lot of things, right? Mm -hmm. So it was a, Fabulous resource, a lot of great, great information, clinical information. But I would also say, be curious about some of the commentary about acceptance and size acceptance and looking at what the definition of health is. So that's what I'm going to say about it. I think that's great. And I know I'm I'm such a fan of Dr. Gaddiani's mm. book, Sick mm. Enough. And she has shared with me that there are so many things that she would do different in the next edition. So oh, yeah. I love that that part of it, even though I align so much with her narrative medicine yes. and Dr. Mailer's research mm-hmm. and all of the information. It's like taking us back to what was baked in before mm-hmm. and starting to shake those things up and helping people know that you can recover. There is hope. There's yeah. so much we can do. That's that's kind of the bottom line. Yeah. Well, Janice, it has been so lovely to chat with you. I do have a wrap-up question for you. So if you were to take yourself back to entering into this field of eating disorders, what do you wish you would have known then that you do know now? Uh, that's that's such a good question. And I thought about that because I've heard it mentioned before. I would have loved to have the resources then that we have now. Of course, it wasn't there. But really knowing more about what we term the biopsychosocial connections, which we didn't attach those to each other in any sort of way. 
at that point in time in my career, again, back to the early 80s, we just saw electrolytes or we saw not eating enough. We didn't look at genetics. We didn't look at sociocultural influences. We didn't really understand the how starvation impacts the brain so much and impacts thinking and perception. So I would have liked to know more about that, but that knowledge wasn't available then. It wasn't available. And just to bring this back full circle, Mm -hmm. one of our guests, I believe it was Beth McGilley had added to that biopsychosocial. She Mm -hmm. added spiritual. So I am picturing you with those beautiful, massive sea turtles. And that's Mm -hmm. a spiritual place. It's a, it's a calming force in your life. Mm -hmm. Then we all need to find those things. So she's adding that as a, some, maybe something for the future. I don't know if that's going to be part of it, but biopsychosocial definitely and spiritual. Mm. Thank you for joining us today, Janice. Oh, this was fun. Thank you. Let's lean on each other and learn from each other so we can grow together as professionals in this field of eating disorders. If you want to connect with me for supervision or membership with monthly content, please find me at bethharrell.com slash professionals.